Hello, and welcome to Storyteller In-Depth, a podcast where we go behind the scenes to learn more about the School of Communications, Media Arts and Designs, People, Places, and Things. I'm your host, Pat Quigley. What will our society look like with all of our AI advancements and modern software in the year 2081? A version of this question is answered in InfoFreako, a new novel written by Mike Countryman, the program coordinator of our Communications and Media Fundamentals program, which is a re-envisioning of the cyberpunk genre that explores some of the updated fears and anxieties many of us have related to AI, surveillance, and more. For those that don't know, Cyberpunk is a subgenre of science fiction that centers around a dystopian future and highlights how various technological advancements are essentially taking over society and impacting its people. In this episode, Mike will help explain this a little bit more in depth and share the process of writing his novel, including how he began researching and what he discovered along the way. He will also share his views on AI in general, including his thoughts on the, its development and the issue of surveillance in the coming decades. Are we heading towards some of the same themes in Mike's book? Stick around. Thank you so much, Mike, for being on the podcast today. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. This is great. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, just to begin, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've worked at Centennial, and what program you were the coordinator of? Sure, that's the boring stuff. Um, I've been teaching since 2009 at Centennial, but I was teaching in the English department. And since 2016, I've been teaching in the school, which is my dream. Mm -hmm. It's so much cooler than the other uh, parts of Centennial, so it's a uh, it's much better fit for me. In my vibe. So you've recently published a novel called Info Frico. Uh, first, can you tell listeners what it's about, some of the themes and the storyline? Sure. So I've always wanted to write um, a cyberpunk inspired by Japanese anime. So I remember being like eight or nine years old, way too young. And I saw this movie Akira um, from 1988. And it's so violent but also so complex and so intelligent at the same time that really blew my mind when I was a child. Uh, then Ghost in the Shell, you know, but just a love of all of that and, and, and a love of Japanese culture, uh, it led me to write this. Um, so when I thought of a cyberpunk, I thought, well, how has cyberpunk changed maybe in the last 20, 30 years? You know, how are our fears and anxieties different than in the 80s and 90s? So this is a cyberpunk, but it's kind of a re-envisioning of the genre, hopefully. Um, Re-injecting it with some um, fears and anxieties that we're all kind of sensing today. State authoritarianism, um, artificial sentience, artificial intelligence, uh, and surveillance. Uh, very much surveillance capitalism. Uh, that's a big thing that runs throughout the book, too. Cool. It's, it's kind of interesting to think that so many of those themes from like 1984 and, you know, all of those kind of books and, and movies and, and anime, that through line still comes through to today, right? Like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so can you take us through the process of writing your novel, uh, starting with what inspired you to write it? So... I always tell people this, like for me anyway, there's no magic in writing. So 
anything that you can imagine just a person sitting down with like a blank sheet of paper in front of them and just kind of like scratching their head for, for hours and then writing a sentence and then like deleting it that's basically writing uh, and then just do it for long enough and you're going to write a novel so you do it for two to three years and and, and things will come together you know for me anyway um i want it to be a work of art so that focus is more on like storytelling and so sometimes characters will come up you don't really understand why you're just kind of like following like a flow in your mind um there's definitely like a message in it but that's definitely secondary so the stuff about ai and surveillance culture and things like that so really the motivation for writing it is just writing a work of art being inspired by these kinds of epic you know world building uh science fiction films that i grew up with and just saying like i want to do that i want to see if i can build like a whole world you know multi-characters and just do that you know just uh as a like an existential thing primarily you know right and and what was your experience possibly researching some of the themes before you started that's a great question these are all things that i very much um I'm really interested in normally, but there was one book called The Age of Surveillance Capitalism by, I think it's Shoshana Zuboff. Uh, she published it about five, six years ago. And that's very much an encapsulation of like the polemic that you would have against uh, companies like Google and Meta that are very much amassing our data, um, protecting our behavior, you know, giving us targeted advertising. So that book is really like, the perfect encapsulation of that. Um, but again, my book is a, a fiction, so it's kind of like an exploration of that. What would happen 50 years in the future if these companies kept amassing our data and could almost predict our behavior, you know, predict our movements? Mm -hmm. What would that be like? Uh, and that was very much the focus. Wow, it kind of, to me, it kind of speaks like it'd be a bit of a scary world that we might be living in in the next 50 years for sure. Do you know what's funny? So it's very much a dystopian as it, as most sci-fi, you know? Like, it's kind of funny. Can you, ever, can you think of a book where it's science fiction but everything is good in the future? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can't think of one. But it's funny because I love ChatGPT. I love generative AI. That stuff is exciting and I love playing with it. So... I don't know about you, but like, are you interested in that kind of stuff? Like as soon as it came out? It, it piqued my interest for sure. Um, but I wasn't sure what to do with it and I wasn't sure how to use it. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, you know, I've used some things in like, uh, the Adobe creative cloud software and, and stuff like that through AI building, which, you know, to, to, to go off of that, you, the the cover art for your novel was generated using AI, yeah. right? Um, why did you make that choice? So that's actually almost like um, was a happy accident. So my friend was sending me cover images, just ideas. And he found one from a, a guy named Denian. And he had an Instagram page. And was, all his art just looked incredible and looked like, oh, that's exactly the cover of my book. And, I, and then it said in his his profile it's, it's generative ai i thought oh that's even even better um yeah and he was he was really gracious enough for me to to use it but i don't know if you've used generative ai but in the same way that like so i'm, I'm a musician 
In the same way that a drummer is going to program a drum machine, the most creative, most amazing way, it's going to be an artist that's going to be using generative AI to create incredible art. Because you have to feed it like prompts, you know? So that doesn't, you know, worry me, that kind of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. But anyway, yeah, I wrote a dystopian novel, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what's your opinions on the capabilities that AI has in today's society then? I think we're still in the infancy stage. Um, artificial intelligence is can be very broadly defined. And so I think we used different technologies to respond to the same kinds of fears and anxieties that we've had for, I think, a few hundred years. Um, you know, I think we live in an industrial world. We don't live in a state of nature. I think for most of the human condition and what we would call humanity, we, we lived in nature. And so I think it's just challenging for all of us, you know, to live in the world of steel and concrete and categories and, you know, things like that. So science fiction is there to respond to those kinds of fears, you know, those kinds of anxieties. And the big one for me and the big one in the novel, as I said before, is just this feeling of like unfreedom, you know, this feeling of being tracked and surveilled. And what, what would that be like if that kind of went out of hand, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm sorry, just like a, a, a secondary thought that I had is like, it's, it's weird to think that our, our, our vision of the future has changed so drastically in the years, right? Like you look at, uh, as an example, like the Jetsons, which was the ideal future that we would be living in at that time. And now you look at, you know, what people are writing like yourself about what's going to happen in the next 50 years is completely different. I totally agree with you. I, my, a friend of yeah. mine, a really good friend I grew up with, he's now a professor of like science studies in Princeton, University of Chicago. It's mind blowing. Um, but he has this fascination, too, of like what the future was supposed to be in the 1960s and 70s, you know, and I don't know how old you are. You're probably a lot younger, but I was born in 1981. And see, even as a child, there was still that kind of like halo around space exploration and what it was going to do for us and it is amazing how all that has completely gone away and it's it would probably be mind-blowing to someone back then to say someone in 2023 is not writing about say space exploration or bionics but they're writing about you know how communications and media corporations you know track our data yeah. like that's what's scaring us you know well, it went from this ideal of space exploration and like broadening our our view, right, to the known universe into what is happening next door. How can I get uh, food from McDonald's quicker to my door, right? Like, and, and how can social media help influence why that's happening? It's a great point. You know, everything is coming inwards. You know, we're becoming very narcissistic, mm -hmm. you know, solipsistic. That's definitely a fear and anxiety for sure. Yeah, all big yeah. time. <laughs> uh, upon writing your book, how have you? How would you say that your views have grown or changed at all in terms of AI or surveillance capitalism in today's society? You know, <laughs> I've written different novels before this. So I wrote a historical novel 
that's completely different from this. And my first novel was science fiction, but in a very different kind of subgenre. But I realize now that I'm always writing about dehumanization. Um, I'm just writing about systems, you know, whether it's gender or class, sexuality, or systems of like technology, systems of government, state authoritarianism, how it kind of oppresses us, makes us less human. So this is very much just an exploration of that. Also, I'm just as bad as everybody else. Like I'm on social media, you know, I'm clicking on those targeted ads. I'm a professor, I teach this, right? So I'm very much like involved in this kind of stuff as well, right? And so maybe it's a bit of an atonement or something, you know? I tell my students to get on social media and promote themselves and then, you know, I atone myself by writing this novel. Um, but I think it's, it's fascinating and it's exciting. You know, I think my attitude towards new technology is that it, it, it really is something to kind of be played with and to look at its limitations, but also its dangers. Um, I'm not the type to say, oh, let's ban this, for instance, you know, like I think we should use ChatGPT in the classroom, but that's a whole other story and you should cut well, let's that. Let's talk a little. <laughs> professors are yeah, gonna kill for me. sure. <laughs> No, no, no. We're going to keep that in because I want to dive into that a little sure. bit. Is how do you how do you bring up the topic of conversation of AI with your students in the classroom? So the new thing that everyone's scared of is ChatGPT, which is a wow. language model. It's not trying to give you facts. It's just trying to give you the answer that you're looking for. So it's limited. If you play around with it, you'll see its limitations, but also you'll easily see when a student uses ChatGPT to, you know, yeah. like it's so obvious. And I think, oh my God, like this whole fear that it's going to write every student's essay, like, oh my God, you know, anybody can look and say, oh, this student used ChatGPT. But it's exciting mm -hmm. because it's a way in which you can facilitate creativity. That's how I just see any technology, at least for me. Like, it's like, how can I use it creatively? And I think there are creative uses to it in the realm of making fiction. Um, and it's a little scary because we're not used to it in the world of writing, but I think fine art has been playing around with found objects for a hundred years and more. Mm -hmm. And music has been doing it with sampling technology, right? So, you know, modern music is very much AI assisted um, art forms. So writing's going through this right now because we're seeing this primitive form of, of uh, a language model. So I'm excited to use it, um, but it gets things wrong all the time. And it's sexist mm -hmm. and it's racist and it's, you know, bad for the environment too. That's, that's... You know, like it's bad to use it, right? Yeah. Oh, for sure. It's just, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, yeah. It's a learning model, right? Like, and that's what it's doing. It's learning over time. So it doesn't know its boundaries. It doesn't know it's right or wrong. And it needs that human element to, to rein it back in to, yeah. to what it needs to be. Just like generative AI. Yeah. Also, you should um, talk to Kelly McConvey because she's done research into this and she, she uh, played around with it in terms of asking for research. And uh, you can get it to come up with uh, lies. So you can actually have it lie to you, make up fake research. Uh, 
So that kind of stuff is I love. That's exciting. We did talk to Kelly actually in the last episode. Hopefully, hopefully oh, they're nice. organized this way. And uh, you know, we did we did, <laughs> we just talked to Kelly about about all of that kind of That's stuff, great. and it was such a insightful great. conversation to you know learn exactly what you said that the that AI will lie to you if you ask it to give you that information, right? It will create sources yeah. out of thin air and be like, no, this is real, but it's not. But in the same way that like search engines are AI, like, you know, can that be defined as AI? I think so. Mm-hmm. Students use that. We are susceptible to, you know, selection bias through their algorithms. We are susceptible to, you know, um, propaganda, you know, in the same way that it, like as a teacher, like we're all trying to learn how to use this effectively. We're not trying to ban the use of it. It's the same way I think with ChatGPT. Mm-hmm. Um, also, generative AI—that's going to be really exciting, because I used to teach two hours on having to crop and paste, you know, an mm-hmm. image. Now it takes a second. It's great. I, now I can challenge my students even further. That stuff's exciting. Yeah. Oh, for sure. We're going to switch gears back to uh, your novel and talk about the storyline, which is based in the year 2081. Uh, so yes. what is the perspective on the evolution of AI and data surveillance over the next 50 years and beyond? Okay, so I set it up so that there's this um, almost like a Cold War between the East and the West. So you have an emergent empire in China. And so Tokyo is like the West Berlin. If you think of West Berlin, the 80s, you know, it was completely just this island, right, protected. So that's our setting. It's like this massive city of 400 million under this huge kind of sky, uh, sky cover. So very kind of intense, very claustrophobic. Um, and what's happened is because everything is kind of finite, everything is kind of bounded, these corporations, which amass data on people have gone, have just completely gone amok, uh, run amok. And they have so much data on people that they're really, really sophisticated at predicting your behavior. And they're very sophisticated at conditioning you, at changing your built environment, changing how you move through space and time in a way to make you susceptible to coercion. Um, through your behavior. So that's kind of the backdrop. The way I envisioned the story is like, this is funny because I'm a modern writer in 2023. I think of it like as a Netflix series. Mm -hmm. So it's like multi-episodes, multi-storylines. So you've got a storyline of this wife, of this huge CEO. You know, you got that kind of storyline of like being way on top. Then you got the storyline of like Rent and these other people who are like, part of a terrorist organization who know what's going on. You know, you've got a mercenary type soldier guy. So it's like that kind of like, uh, you know, I'm not reinventing the wheel, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the playground of, you know, dare, dare call it cliches. I don't know, maybe, you know, tropes, devices of the genre, but I just love doing that. So you've got all these multiple storylines happening. I can go further, but you know, <laughs> and people and people should get it to, to find out more right totally yeah. i really really wrote it as a commercial book i promise you <laughs> this is not a literary novel okay 
You know, it's not me expressing my feelings. I'm really trying to write it like short chapters, you know, super punchy, super violent, um, super edgy, super, super quick. You know, that's the hope. Cool. So do you envision a positive evolution or do you believe that there will be a blend of favorable and unfavorable uses to AI and data surveillance? I think there's going to be a blend. Yeah. What do you think? Oh, man, I, I sometimes I don't know how the rest of my week's going to go. I don't think too far into this stuff all the time. <laughs> I hope yeah, a blend. I hope a blend for sure. I play around with it, you know, but I think as long as we're very aware and we're very kind of like hypercritical all the time of how we're doing it and why we're doing it and, and how often we're doing it, I think that keeps us on edge. Yeah. I think that's healthy, you know, because I am not a Luddite in any way, mm-hmm. you know, so very much it's kind of like a reflection on like what I'm doing, you know. So, for instance, do you like targeted ads? Do you, do you enjoy them? It's kind of nice in a weird way. Some days. <laughs> you're getting ads that you some want. Some days. It's nice because it helps me decide what's for dinner some days. I'm like, oh, that's on sale. Okay, I'll go pick that up. But other days you're like, yeah. I don't know why I need to see, you know, that, that ad for a vacation again because I'm not going anywhere. That's I don't true. have the money for that. So. Yeah, that is true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can be creepy sometimes, but yeah, I don't know. You know, when you think about you know, the generative AI and, and chat GPT and, and all of these things, like definitely wanting that blend of still having that human connection to it, right? And and having it not become its own complete entity. So we still have that little bit of control to shape it and to mold it into, into what we want it to be. So it doesn't take over, right? Can I ask how old were you in like 1996? 1996, I was two years old. So it's not gonna, yeah, I know. I'm younger, I know. Yeah. It's interesting, just what you said, like it's interesting how we all kind of perceive the technology differently, Mm -hmm. you know, pretending on the context, depending on the epoch. But in the 90s, it was all like this libertarian, amazing view of like technology and especially the internet. Like it was gonna be totally democratic, uh, decentralized, you know, there's going to be no oligarch of corporations owning everything like it is today. Uh, and you just missed out because everything you said about that, that vision of technology, it was that in the 90s. But yeah, let's bring it back. Why not? It worked then. Yeah. It should work tomorrow. Yeah. Everyone just get off Instagram. Yeah. Oh, no kidding. Um, so talking about your novels, uh, do you have any other ones coming up or themes you'd like to explore more in your writing? Yeah, so maybe because I'm a young novelist, you know, I've only written three books. Uh, I've colleagues who've written multiple, you know, and then like Random House publishes like their seventh or something. So I have to perceive myself as being still kind of young. I'm I'm always changing a genre. So this next book is not going to be science fiction. It's going to be like a personal kind of memoir. Um, so that's always going to happen. But I think all writers, you know, they just have a compulsion to write. So they're always going to be writing. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah, this is going to be a next book. Cool. Well, I can't wait to, to hear about it and hopefully read it as well. Thank you. For sure. 
Thank you very much. So, Mike, we're coming up to near the end of the conversation, and something we like to ask uh, this panel of people that we've kind of got lined up to talk about AI and discussing AI um, is that you had, if you had access to any AI tool, it can be completely imaginary or something you think could actually be developed one day. What would you love for it to do? So. This is a cop-out because it's not a real thing, mm -hmm. but this is what I want it to do. I want it to facilitate genuine human connection face-to-face. -face. Oh, wow. I just want some kind of technology that is there to help people like literally just connect and experience things, you know, in nature. I know that sounds so corny, but what we need is human connection. We need to go and play volleyball with strangers. You know, we need to go play Pokemon Go with like a bunch of people you just met that day. Mm -hmm. There's stuff like that that we've been missing. And, you know, you think about like those Rogers commercials about how the whole family's hanging out together, but everybody's staring at a screen, mm -hmm. you know, like it's just a, it's, you can tell how awkward it is for that advertising company to try and show us that, you know, being on technology brings us together as humans, but it's not mm -hmm. like it's so dissonant. So... That's what I would hope. That's what I would develop. That's awesome. Anyway. Very cool. And I don't think it's a cop-out at all. I'd love something like that that would help bring us back and be like, hey, here's a, a cool trail network, you know, that we've we've helped blaze for you and, and all this kind of stuff. Like, that's, that's really, really cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Mike, thank you so much for, for being on the podcast today. Thank you very much for interviewing me. It's great, yeah. you know. Yeah, and maybe we'll catch up next time when your next book comes out and we'll uh, we'll talk more about that then. Great. I would love that. Thank you. Thank you, Mike, for being on the podcast and sharing details about your new book. It was so interesting to hear about your writing process and your thoughts on this topic as a whole. InfoFreako is available on Amazon, so be sure to check it out. We have more episodes on the way, so if you enjoyed this one, be sure to give our podcast a follow so you'll be alerted for our next episode. You can also always check out our Instagram at Story Art Center for more episode posts. Until next time, I'm your host, Pat Quigley, and this is Storyteller In Depth.